Welcome, everybody, to the Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you what's going on with the show here. Today's true stories come from the Concealed Carry uh, Magazine, April 2017 issue. There's 10 mini-stories, and after reading each one, I'm going to give you my rapid-fire analysis on the story. Now, people commented to me last time that they liked it, so we're going to try it again. In my License to Carry segment, it will be actually a continuation from last week's segment covering Penal Code 9.31 Self-Defense. But this week, we're going to highlight Paragraph 5, Section C, so you want to stay tuned for that, because after the first commercial break, we're going to have on Attorney Rick Dodd. Today's product spotlight, sponsored by ANC Firearms and Heidenhammer, is the Glock 41 Gen 4 and 45 ACP. It's a beast. It's a gentle beast. Looking at it, you would say, oh my gosh, shooting it, and you'll say, oh, I want one. So get yours at ANC Firearms now. Call 254-983-4417. And towards the end of the program, Trey Wallace, the man, the legend, the board operator of this show, will be interviewing a surprise guest. Y'all know who it is. Guy can be a real jerk sometimes, and that guy is me. So everything you wanted to know about me will be revealed. And if you believe that, I got a bridge to sell you. But anyway, it's going to be a good show. We got a lot going on here. Concealed Carry Magazine, the true stories. There are 10 of these stories. That's why I'm going to read it fast and give you quick bullet analysis here. So story number one, this comes from the April 2017 issue of the Concealed Carry Magazine. Number one, Pennsylvania man thwarts street assault. Only man was leaving a Chinese restaurant one night when he was approached by a man who punched him and then chased him down the street. Fearing for his life, the victim drew his legally carried pistol and fired on the assailant, hitting him in the leg and stopping the attack. The victim remained at the scene until authorities and medical personnel arrived. He is operating, he's cooperating with police. Quick analysis. Hitting him in the leg. Most probably anticipating the shot due to stress and lack of training. Story number two. Maryland man stops car break-in. A Baltimore County man took a rifle with him when he went to investigate after he saw someone trying to break into his car around 4.30 a.m. When the owner approached the scene, the car burglar slashed at him with a knife or a screwdriver. That's when the owner, the car owner, fired one shot from the rifle, hitting the suspect and putting him to flight. Responding police caught the 17-year-old miscreant. And after treatment of his wounds, he will be charged as an adult with felonious assault and other crimes. Number two, bullet reply here. In this story, homeowners started with Penal Code 9.42, deadly force to protect property. Once bad guy attacked the land, the homeowner, the homeowner defended himself under Penal Code 9.32, defend, uh, deadly force in defense of a person. Know your penal code. Story number three, California man shoots home invader. A Long Beach man heard sounds of a possible break-in at his home at about five one morning. Taking up a gun as he went to investigate, he found an unknown man in his house and fired on the man, killing him and ending the incident. Police are investigating the incident as a burglary attempt ended by self-defense by the homeowner. My analysis, the homeowner got a gun before he went to investigate. Not investigate and then get a gun. Always go with a gun. You may not have a chance to retrieve it later. Story number four, Michigan man fires on pit bulls. A tailor man was approaching his vehicle in broad daylight when two pit bulls approached him in a threatening manner. Fearing attack when the dogs growled and bared their teeth and seeing that he had no room or time to retreat to his home, the citizen drew his legally carried pistol and shot the closest dog, injuring it and driving both animals off. Responding police determined the man acted in self-defense. My bullet analysis. I hate pit bulls. I hate pit bulls. I hate pit bulls. Story number five. Georgia gun store owner defends against robbers. A Cobb County gun store owner was opening his store one morning when two armed and when two armed and ski masked men entered and announced a robbery. The store owner promptly drew his own pistol and fired on the robbers, killing one and putting the other to flight. The store owner was not harmed in the incident. My analysis. Can you say LMFAO? Sure you can. L laugh my F A off. Okay. Story number six. Michigan man fights off carjacking duo. A Detroit man was accosted just after midnight at a gas station by two men who demanded his car. Fearing for his life, the motorist drew his legally carried pistol and fired on the men wounding both and ending the incident. My analysis, you have a choice. Be a victim or be armed and know how to use it. This man was prepared. Story number seven. North Carolina man prevents home invasion. A Fayetteville man heard noises around his back door about two one morning. Taking up a pistol as a precaution when he went to investigate, he encountered a stranger in his home and ordered him to stop. Instead of halting, the intruder advanced on the homeowner who fired on the stranger, hitting him. 
When the intruder kept advancing, the homeowner shot him again, at which time the intruder fled the scene. The man was later apprehended by police when he sought medical attention for two gunshot wounds. My analysis. Homeowner did great, but may have needed a larger gun or better accuracy. For home defense, carry the biggest you can and practice. Story number eight. Florida Uber driver defends against armed robber. While taking a fare to the airport, an Aventura Uber driver was cut off by a van driver who approached the Uber driver with pistols in both hands and tried to rob him. The Uber driver was armed and responded by firing four shots at the robber, killing him. Police are calling the shooting self-defense. Uber had no comment on the incident, though their policy is that Uber drivers are not to be armed. Huh, my commentary. Hey, Uber, screw you. Story number nine. Texas store owner fights back against disgruntled customer. A Sherman grocery store owner had a problem with a customer that resulted in the customer being escorted off the premises, warning, I'll be back. Sure enough, the customer re-entered later and assaulted the owner with a machete. Fortunately, the owner had a legally carried pistol, which he used to shoot the customer and drive him off. The customer was apprehended when he sought medical treatment for a single gunshot wound to the upper torso and will face felony assault charges after his recovery. My commentary, don't bring a machete to a gunfight. And last story, Nevada armed citizen stops daylight 7-Eleven robbery. When a North Las Vegas 7-Eleven was being robbed about 3.30 a.m., a legally armed citizen in the store took action. Seeing the store clerk being held at gunpoint, the citizen drew his pistol and fired on the robber, putting him to flight. The robber collapsed and died a short distance from the store. Police noted there was an ongoing robbery and the citizen felt that he needed to take action. My commentary. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Penal Code 9.33, Defense of a Third Person. Bonus, know your gun, know your abilities, and know your penal code. All right, moving on. If you got any stories you want to tell me, give me a call, 254-697-6633. I want to hear your true stories. Tell me what you did. Tell me how you did it. Tell me what happened, so on and so forth. Let's move right on to our License to Carry segment. Because I think we're pretty much on time here. Okay, everyone. Last week I read to you Penal Code 9.31. Well, I'm going to read it to you again, but then focus on paragraph 5C. If I read my paragraphs right, I mean, the way they got these things numbered here, I never know what paragraph I'm in, but maybe our super attorney over here can square me away on this. This part of Penal Code 9.31 can get a little intense, so I'm going to set it up so that after the break, Attorney Rick Dodd here can enlighten us on the ins and outs, ups and downs, benefits and pitfalls of this specific part of Penal Code 931, Self-Defense. So, I'm going to read it to you. I'll try to read it clearly. It's Texas Penal Code 9.31, Self-Defense, sometimes referred to as Castle Law. Except as provided in subchapter B, a person is justified in using force against another when and to the degree he reasonably believes the force is immediately necessary to protect himself against the other's use or attempted use of unlawful force. A person's belief that the force is immediately necessary as described by this subsection is presumed to be reasonable if the actor, one, knew or had reason to believe that the person against whom the force or deadly force was used unlawfully and with force entered or attempted to enter the actor's home, vehicle, or place of business or employment, unlawfully and with force removed or attempted to remove the actor from the home, vehicle, or place of business or employment, or was committing or attempting to commit aggravated kidnapping, murder, sexual assault, aggravated sexual assault, robbery, or aggravated robbery. This is a long one. Two, did not provoke the person against whom the force or deadly force was used. Three, was not otherwise engaged in criminal activity at the time force or deadly force was used. And what Ross said to us last week, the basic summary of this, is that the actor who has the right to be present at the location where the force or deadly force is used, who has not provoked the person against whom the force is used, and who is not engaged in criminal activity at that time, is not required to retreat before using deadly force. Now, I'm going to skip the rest of it and go to the part that I want to talk about. It's going to be, it says here, to let's see, the use of force against another is not justified to resist arrest or search that the actor knows is being made by a peace officer or by a person acting at a peace officer's in a peace officer's presence and at his direction even though the arrest or search is unlawful 
unless the resistance is justified under subsection C. And what that is, it reads, the use of force to resist an arrest or search is justified, one, if before the actor offers any resistance, the actor being you, the peace officer or person acting in his direction uses or attempts to use greater force than necessary to make the arrest or search, and two, when and to the degree the actor reasonably believes the force is immediately necessary to protect himself against the peace officer or other person's use of attempted use of greater force than necessary. And what I always say on this is have your video camera rolling. Because if you start jacking with an officer, <laughs> you're going to have some trouble. So I need to talk to our super attorney here, Rick Dodd, after the break and see what his expertise tells us on this section. So, Trey, let's take a long break. And when we come back, we'll have super attorney Rick Dodd. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We are back. Today is Saturday, May 13th, 2017. And remember, tomorrow is Mother's Day. Don't forget to take care of your moms out there. Wish them a happy Mother's Day. Give them a hug. Give them a kiss. Give them a flower. Take them to lunch, dinner, something. Do something. Take care of them. Okay. We're back here now with um, Super Attorney Rick Dodd. Rick, it's a pleasure to have you on again. Let's get that microphone to make sure that you're going to be heard over the airwaves. It's good to be here. You know, about Mother's Day, uh, there's another big Mother's Day. It's always your birthday. You always should call your mother on your birthday. Thank her. It's Ah. a big day for her, too, you know. Yeah, you were both there at the same time, so I mean, right. you're sharing the same experience. One may not remember, but you're both there. Well, she could tell you about it. Okay. <laughs> All right, Rick, we set it up here. We were talking to um, attorney extraordinaire uh, Benton Ross Watson last week about this penal code, and we decided we were going to discuss it further on this one aspect of it, and that was it, it's not justified upon... Um, has a term exactly it says here the use of force against another is not justified and we talked about um, paragraph two and then section c here about law enforcement do you want to just go right into it and give us your thoughts about that and clarify what it means and well i mean what you got to first look at is the word unlawful and whenever the police are making an arrest generally what they're doing is lawful so when you get beyond what is lawful as far as what the police are doing you got to be looking at the word reasonable So, here's the setup. If you have one police officer and he's trying to arrest three different men and they are being belligerent and they are being scruffy and they are resisting, his ability or his right to pull out a billy club and club a couple of them may be more reasonable than if you have three policemen and one man. That's a good good illustration. I understand it totally. For a simple mind like me, that's good. and, and, And where does it cross the line into unlawful? I think uh, what you got to look at is what can affect an arrest. So if you have someone who is willing to put their hands behind their back or lay on the ground with their hands spread out, uh, unlawful would be the policeman walking up there and kicking them in the groin. Unlawful would be the policeman pulling out his billy cub and whapping them a couple times across the back or maybe taking a headshot at them. I mean, he's being compliant. He's there's it's, They're able to make their arrest easily. So it depends on the circumstances as to what is reasonable and then what crosses over the line into unlawful. Now, you said a minute ago, you said something about having your video camera on. Uh, Yeah, no doubt about it, because when you get to beyond the point of getting billy clubbed, you know, and and hurt and having to go to the hospital and get your head repaired, uh, you wind up in the courtroom for having... um, beat up a cop or whatever you did to protect yourself. In other words, the force you may have used to protect yourself against an unlawful assault that has occurred to you by a police officer. And when you're sitting in front of that 12-person jury who's going to make the determination about those words unlawful and reasonable, you have to remember that in their mind, it makes them very uncomfortable to believe that a police officer did something wrong. So you have a really big hill to climb and get over the top of. You expect to be found not guilty by that jury. Can I let, let me step in here for a second? If that situation happens, and I hope it never does, but you know it does, where a person is in position and they're getting unlawfully abused, and you start fighting back, that's almost worse than the initial onset of being attacked by um, the individual unlawfully, because you know what's going to happen. They're going to get swarmed with other officers so it's like it's in a catch-22 isn't it oh absolutely um you know we saw we see it on tv now a whole lot because of cell phones yes and we see it on uh, tv a lot more because police officers don't like cell phones and uh, you know they the police officers may actually try to arrest people that have cell phones uh, there there's a there was a case 
that uh, occurred that the U.S. Supreme Court spoke to, I think in 1992, it might have been 1982. Uh, and of course, you know, I'm a, I'm a student of the Constitution because I'm a lawyer. I probably sat in a classroom um, and took, I think, about uh, 16 hours of constitutional law. So I love the Constitution. I believe in all the rights that were given to us, and I believe that they're all sacred, including the Second Amendment. But also, I like the First Amendment. I like the, the amendment where we're able to uh, assemble and talk about our government. I like the, uh, I mean, it, it, they're all important. So there's a case where an attorney was offended because he saw police giving a hard time to some gays who were having a rally. And the gays were dressed in leather and chains. And the police officer were systematically arresting them for disturbing the peace. And the rationale was, well, they're marching, and they have chains, and they have leather, and that is disturbing the peace. The attorney steps up in front of the police and says, gentlemen, you are breaking the law. You are doing an illegal arrest because these people are not doing anything to provoke anybody except marching, and they have that right to do under the Constitution. The attorney was arrested and, of course, taken to jail and uh, had his day right, so to speak. But the Supreme Court said that uh, he had that right, he had that freedom of speech, and as long as he wasn't grabbing at the police officer, doing something wrong, that, uh, that he should be found not guilty. So that's a situation where, you know, the police officers might be doing something wrong, and, uh, you know, the Constitution was being protected by someone who felt offended by the fact that that uh, the police officers are doing what they do. And you got to remember about the Constitution, it was written to protect the minority from the majority. So even though these gentlemen that were marching in the Montrose Parade down in Houston with their change in leather may not be the kind of folks that uh, a lot of the majority wants to hang out with and socialize with, they still have their rights under our Constitution to the equal protection of law. I can't. And that's the constitutional part that that attorney was upset by. I can't agree with you enough. I'm totally in the Constitution as well, the whole works. Um, I just want everybody to know out there, the, the reason, I say this all the time, but it's very important that I say it every time, and that is I ask questions um, a certain way because there's, there's a lot of variances in responses, and you've got to be aware of what can happen based on your response in a certain situation, even though a law may say one thing, it may get... Uh, twisted around or diluted or misaligned and so we're trying to give you all different aspects of it especially with a man here super attorney rick dodd who's got a year how many years rick 30 uh 35 now 35 years of experience i mean he's been around the block been around the planet so he can tell you what's going on is this pertaining to law we got somebody on the line here let's see if it'll apply you want to talk to him about what we're talking about right now you want to take a question sure all right ladies and gentlemen we got a caller let's we're going to set it up here you would agree, though, Rick, there's a lot of uh, potential for danger on this particular section when it comes to law enforcement. Oh, absolutely. Because they have the guns and they have the billy clubs, they have the mace, they have the handcuffs, they have the jails, they have the judges. And Yeah, yeah you said no. Okay. Uh, Mr. Johnson, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I like listening to you guys. Well, fantastic. We appreciate your call. What can we do for you? What kind of question you got for uh, uh, Super Attorney uh, You know, uh, they say it's against the law to shoot someone that uh, comes up in the yard and threaten to kick your butt uh, and stuff. I had an officer over here to tell me that if a guy threatened to come up here and whip my wife for no reason, and I and he, I called the officer, and he come over here here in Rockdale, and he said, I had every right to defend me, my wife, and my property. I said, well, I got a shotgun. I pulled it on him, and I blew his legs out, and he said, well, you got the right. You got the right. Is that true? Well, Mr. Johnson, um, you are going to cut a very fine hair there, and, and here is the hair that you might have to cut. Uh, there was uh, the case called the Martinez case that came up in front of the uh, Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, which, of course, in Texas is the highest court of criminal matters unless it is then sent to the Supreme Court of the United States. But the facts of the Martinez case were, uh, were pretty clear. In other words, the Court of Appeals said, well, there was no dispute about the facts that were presented in court. Now, you got to remember, presented in court may be different than what actually happened. Uh, because, yeah. you know, we have their truths, we have our truths, and then the jury has their own truths. Yeah. But in any case, the Martinez brothers, uh, Renee 
and Rudy, they had uh, been gone for one evening, and a couple from down the street happened to come to their home and burglarize it and take their stereo system and several guns, pistols, shotguns, things of that nature. But unbeknownst to the burglars, uh, a couple across the street watched them do this and actually followed them back to their home and watched them unload the stuff into their home. So when Rudy and Renee came back home, the neighbors told them about this, told them the address, and so Rudy goes down and gets himself a shotgun, and they uh, decide to go over and get their stuff back, or whatever they decided to do. In any case, they went over to get their stuff back. Well, in the process of that, uh, there were a couple of fellows that went with them who were... uh, Oh, I think they were driving tow trucks, but they they went with them and sat outside and waited. The testimony was only given by Rudy because, guess what? The two folks inside the house had gunshot wounds that uh, caused their heart to stop. Uh, One of them had a couple of gunshot wounds in the back of his head. Uh, So the testimony basically given by Rudy was that uh, it was self-defense, that he had brought the shotgun with him. Because he was worried that when he got there, there would be trouble. Gosh, guess what? Uh, there was trouble. And, yeah, what? And, and that the other guys had actually uh, attacked him. In other words, they had made a move beyond just verbal. And this is where, you know, you need to listen because you're talking about the verbal stuff. They had, they had talked yeah. about verbal. But anyway, I, did, I told the officer, I didn't want to kill the guy, but I said I will blow his legs out from underneath him. Well, oh. when you start blowing somebody's legs out from under him, you can pretty much expect that they're going to die, especially if you do with a shotgun. But that's the expectation. But anyway, back to the story. They, they, uh, the Court of Appeals, they were first convicted, okay? They were convicted of murder. Uh, and because they had done uh, a couple other things, I think it was even capital murder. But in any case, the, the uh, Court of Appeals affirmed that conviction, but the Court of Criminal Appeals overturned it because they were said there was no evidence, none, that they had actually gotten the shotgun with the intent to go over and kill anybody. The only evidence was they had gotten the shotgun simply to protect themselves in case there was trouble, which that is exactly what had happened. Uh, okay. So then there I was, just wanted to find out. There's another case that's uh, important <laughs> to your subject that has to do with uh, with a fellow who was called by the neighbor lady. The neighbor lady had apparently, Mary was her name. She was getting beat up on a pretty regular basis by old Charlie. So the fellow who's kind of a good Samaritan and his dad, his uh, 59-year-old dad, go over and help her pack up some of her stuff. And while they're packing up her stuff, guess what? Old Charlie, he comes back home, and he uh, asks where the, uh, and he doesn't call her by nice names, is. And uh, they ask him to please leave. Charlie had uh, given his 59-year-old dad a, uh, a tire checker, you know, one of those aluminum tire checkers, which I guess, you know, that could be a deadly weapon because it would be a, a club. But in any case, uh, also, Charlie, by the way, was using his uh, pocket knife to cut tape and box up the uh, boxes. So you see the, the story is getting set up. Now, Mary had already told the Good Samaritan neighbor that Charlie was dangerous because he had a pistol in his car. Well, during the exchange between, between Charlie and the Good Samaritan, the dad walks in with that little hammer in his hand and says, Charlie, you better get the heck out of here. Uh, you're not welcome here. You need to leave. Mary needs to leave. You don't need to beat her up anymore. This is just a bad scene. Get the heck out. Well, Charlie, uh, you know, being not a real nice guy in the first place, uh, says, well, I'm just going to kill you. I got a gun out in the car, and I know how to use it, and I'm going to take you out. Now, you need to leave. So uh, they said, no, we're going to stay here and help Mary get out of this situation. So Charlie turns around and starts to leave and go back to the car, where the Good Samaritan then pulls his pocket knife out and basically uh, takes his guts out of him. So Charlie uh, continues to try to go to the car, so he gets taken uh, a couple more stabs in the belly. Well, finally, Charlie turns and goes towards another direction, and the young man with the knife then stops. So when they go to court... The uh, the young man is charged with murder because Charlie does die from those wounds, and uh, he is convicted. But it was overturned because the evidence was clear, undisputed, 
There was no question about it that Charlie was stabbed only when he was making a move. In other words, he was doing more than just verbal provocation. So you can't just shoot him, sir, when when he tells you that he's going to do this. But if he makes a move for his gun, and there is there's that word reasonable. I hope you're a reasonable person, sir. If, oh, yeah. If, if yeah. you've got that reasonable belief that he has a gun and he's moving to get it, then then if the jury believes you, you have the right to shoot him. I want to I chime in here. That's why, Mr. Johnson, I'm always pushing and promoting that you must be prepared. Prepared in training, understanding uh, your mindset, understanding the tools that you're going to use for your defense, under, understanding penal code. You have to pre- Okay. Uh, thank you a lot. All right. Thank you. Keep listening. And you uh-huh. have to be prepared in all three aspects and blend them all together because in a situation like uh, Attorney Rick Don here is saying, there's um, the uh, if you don't know one, if you know two, but you don't know the third, it's going to get you screwed. So you have to know it all, put it all together, and make sure that you apply the type of force at the appropriate time for the appropriate reason. Otherwise, you're going to be in court spending a lot of money and probably spending a lot of time. Well, Matt, I think you talked a little bit about it last week when you said that you basically need the training because that gives you the confidence. And when you're in a tight situation like that and you feel confident that you can take control of the situation within a half a second, then you have more time to let the con- let the, the situation diffuse itself. That, uh, that is correct. The more, yes. Like, I, like the gentleman that just spoke here, I mean, who's ever standing in the front yard, if he were to take about 10 steps toward him and start pulling his gun out, then, you know, that could be the end of it as opposed to having to take him out 30, 40 yards away while he's still wrapping his mouth. Right, exactly. All right, well, very, that was an excellent call. I appreciate people who call in with questions like that. It opens it up into different directions uh, as compared to me just talking here. Yes, sir, and, Mr. Johnson. Thank you. Uh, Rick, what what else did you have on on your list of fact sheets here that can pertain to this Penal Code 931 that you wanted to discuss or make more clear? Well, I mean, we we all remember watching television, uh, the Los Angeles riots right after Rondi King had been beaten. Uh, We see now on television situations where young men are running away from police and they get shot in the back. So we know that um, unlawful force is used. And we know that situations can be looked at in different ways. Uh, and it's always difficult for us watching television or listening to the radio to put ourselves into the place of these police officers. Um, but, you know, you got to remember there are human beings, too, and they have emotions and they have feelings. And when someone is trying to beat on them, the natural feeling or emotion is I need to beat back on them. So... It can gotta, happen. It can happen. And we know it can happen, but, you know, most of the time it doesn't. I, I want to say something that is going to sound kind of weird, but it's true, okay? And it mean, no disrespect to who I'm about to say this to. If I get an opinion from a law enforcement officer, it does not have much weight with me because there has been too many times when... Uh, I'll give you an example. Somebody says, you know, if you shoot him, drag him in. Drag him in the house. You're going to screw yourself if you do that. You, a law enforcement officer is a defender of the law. He's a recording device. He's all that kind of stuff. But he's not an attorney. He doesn't know the ins and the outs. And he may give you bad direction or bad guidance unless clear, black and white. It's a red light and you drove through it. You're in violation of the law. Okay? So when somebody gives, when, when somebody comes up to you and says, well, you know, you just do this. I know what I'm talking about. No, study it. Go find it out yourself. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself in a predicament that you don't want to be in. Would you concur with that, sir? Sure, sure. Because, you know, it's just like these cases. Uh, there are fine lines, and you know, some opinions can fall on one side of the, of the line and some on the other. I mean, after all, you, you look at this one where the Court of Appeals, who had three judges who supposedly have all the... Uh, uh, intelligence in the world, so to speak, but basically they have a lot of people writing uh, what the case law before them say. They get to look at all the facts and get to determine them in a matter of months as opposed to a matter of seconds. And they came up with the wrong opinion, according to the Court of Criminal Appeals. I want to ask you a question about that. Does a judge actually read it all? You know when they passed the Obamacare, nobody read it. They just said, well, we're going to vote for it. How, how much time does a judge apply to reading everything so that they can be totally informed? Because I know me, if I was a judge, and I got 24 hours in a day, and I got family, and I got chores, and I got all this other kind of stuff that I've got to do, and other details on the, the confines of who I am and what I do, how much time do you actually got to read that? Well, 
you know, in, in any business, you got people that are going to be good and not so good, okay? I would like to think that all the judges out there in the world are good, but in my 35 years of experience, I can tell you it just ain't so. I think they all do the best they can with what they got and what you just described, family, things, other things to do. A lot of judges are very popular. They want to be invited to dinners and what have you. And then also, you know, the caseloads can be different. I've been in court where there's uh, like five or six cases set up for docket call. And then on other days, I've been in court where there's 15 or 20. So I think they do the best they can, but I don't think they can read it all, no. But in the appellate situation, they all have understudy attorneys, attorneys who whose job it is to just read this stuff and, and sort of uh, put it into bullet points, if you may. So the judges that actually sit up on the bench three at a time or, you know, in our Supreme, U.S. Supreme Court nine at a time, they have access to all this extra help, briefing attorneys, uh, people who write the opinions for them, ghostwriters, so to speak, so they can go back and do it. But I'm telling you, being a judge like the district court in, in these counties, that's a tough job because I've, I've sat there so many times and when the first lawyer gets up and makes his 30-minute uh, oral argument after he's turned in an inch-and-a-half brief, I'm sitting there thinking, man, he is right. I don't see how the other guy's had a chance at all. Then the other fellow or lady stands up and gives her passionate 30-minute argument after she's turned in a three-inch reply. And I'm going, wow, I think she's right. I don't see how the other guy could possibly win. Bottom line, stay out of court. <laughs> they did. Huh? And, but, you know, the judge has to make a decision based on all that. And it's like, wow, I'm glad I don't have that job. It's, uh, that's a tough one. Rick, we have competitions. Actually, we just had a comp- Let me sidebar this in a minute. We had a round-robin competition yesterday. Fantastic. Lots of... I mean, we got shooters coming up from these competitions that are getting very good. Had one who was in here... Um, and has done probably about five or six of them, started off rough and won. He won his little revolver. So uh, great thing. The reason I'm bringing that up is when I compete into these things, in these round robins, you've got all these different guns that you don't know, you don't see, particular problems that may arise that you're not aware of. But because of my expertise in the field that I do, I'm able to juggle the mistakes or the problems and still come out in time with accuracy, win the program because of the experience. Would you not um, suggest... That a person, if they need an attorney, they need somebody who can, because of everything you say in the court, that he's got an excellent uh, presentation, but she's got an excellent presentation. You need some attorney in there who can jump through the hoops and, and on the fly and do it at a moment's notice as compared to someone who may know law black and white, but may not be able to adjust or respond quickly enough to something that happens in the courtroom that's unexpected. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, if, And you also need an attorney that knows some of the justices and what I don't, I don't mean know them personally like go out and have drinks but I mean have the experience to know what that judge is thinking has read a lot of their appellant briefs uh, so if I take a case up to the US Supreme Court I'm not going to be the one to stand there and argue that I'm gonna get some of the guys up in DC do it on a regular basis to help me with this uh, and that's not an uncommon thing we actually have appellant specialists a board certified appellant specialist and depending on, of course, the importance of the case, I've, I've argued cases in appellant court here in Texas, but, you know, they're generally they're uh, personal injury kind of cases where the, uh, where the question is very simple, uh, the other side lost, and they just want to appeal. The state of Texas, for instance, always appeals any case where we uh, get more than their limits. The limits in Texas, you know, maybe 150000 So if you get a verdict for more than that, they got to pay 150 And they have, in my opinion, a standing order to appeal every single one of those cases. So those are fairly simple, not that big a deal. But when you get into some of these bigger areas of concern where public policy might dictate that we decide one way or another, and there's going to be about half the people on one side and half the people of the world on the other uh, you know you need somebody in there that kind of knows what to expect from each one of these different judges now can you give a 10 point list of if a person needs an attorney what it should be and i think that 10 point list will be your phone number why don't you try it <laughs> <laughs> well you know I, again i've been doing it so long that that about probably about 80 percent of the people that call us i give them information that helps them find another attorney because I'm, I'm not going to, for instance, I'm not going to do what Ross Watson does. I'm not going to go down to the courthouse and take a murder case. Uh, I've done those. I've done those in the past, back in the first few years of my career. But uh, I don't feel competent to do a murder case right now. 
Now, I might sit with another attorney to do the murder case if there are a lot of uh, facts involved that need expert witnesses because we do a lot of expert witnesses in my field. Uh, but if you wanted to call us, you could call us at uh, 800-460-0606, or you could look on the back of the uh, phone book or look us up under respectforyou.com. And we got a link uh, on the website, the radio page. If you want to go to aaronsgunshop.com, go to the radio page. we got a link there for respectforyou.com, and uh, you can check out Rick and, what, Rick and what he has to offer there. Uh, Rick, we got maybe about two minutes left. Uh, anything you want to close up, wrap this thing up here about this whole topic? We went all over the place, but maybe you can pull it back in. Well, it may take more than two minutes. You got more than two minutes? No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, there's, there's a theme of plates. Uh, one thing I want to talk about a little bit was there was a case where a fellow was holding a plate, and uh, he was told that they weren't going to serve him there at this particular establishment, and, the, and the, uh, the actor knocked the plate out of his hand. The court said that the plate was an extension of his body and that that was a, an assault because the uh, defendant knocked the plate out of this gentleman's hand. And, it, you know, the reason I wanted to bring that up is because I know that uh, we've talked about uh, the gentleman over in Temple who made a lot of media, CJ, mm-hmm. and I wondered why the gun that he was holding was not an extension of his body under the same law that we were looking at here, the uh, Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. Because it must have been a Friday. and uh, Must have been a Friday. Somebody, been a, yeah. There's so. all these different, the, the, the personality of whoever's listening, uh, the attitude of the judge, the, who knows. And, and, of course, the lawyers that represent him were good lawyers and all. I don't know. I, I can only assume that they knew about this case. Uh, Ross and I had talked about it. But, you know, they may have had other ideas, and they may have decided that it was a better track to take a different road than try to get a defense on that. All right, Rick. Time is, time is up here. One last time. Tell everybody how they can get a hold of you. It's respectforyou.com. What are the phone numbers? Uh, 1-800-460-0606 or right here in Cameron, 697-4965. But just ask around. You know, I've got a lot of people out there that know me and that I've represented in the past. Uh, they'll tell you that uh, we do a good job. We care about our people. We don't treat them like numbers. Uh, we've worked on cases pretty much all over the United States, and uh, we've got a lot of experience doing what we do. Well, I'll tell you what, if anything happens to me, expect a phone call. I got you on speed dial. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> all right. We'll all, right all right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to go over our topic of interest. Rick, thanks again for being on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be doing our product spotlight. But I want, before I do that, I wanted to answer a question from a caller about why I don't talk about rifles as much as pistols. And there's a very simple reason. Um, I'm not as an expert with a rifle as I am with a pistol, so I bring on guests who are. And um, for the person who called up about that, if you have specific questions, feel free to give me an email at aaronsgunshop at gmail.com or uh, whatever, because we have our uh, lead instructors. We've got um, Mark Borer. We've got Zoltan Varga. Um, Mark is more rotational. What I mean by that is he's in and out of country all the time, so when he's here, he's here. But Zoli is um, here consistently and is very excited about what he does, and he's very good at what he does when it comes to rifles. And it doesn't matter if it's an AR, SKS, whatever. He just needs to know what it is, and he can pretty much talk about it and give you some ideas and guidance to any kind of question that you may have concerning uh, rifles or optics, actually. He's very good at that kind of stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, the product spotlight is sponsored by ANC Firearms, and ANC Firearms is located in Heidenhammer. Arch Kuntz is the owner. He's a very good friend of mine, awesome guy. His crew, you've got Clint, Dennis, Mike, they're all great guys. What's neat about his location is they're in Heidenhammer, but it's the old bank in downtown Heidenhammer, and downtown is like about 100 feet long, <laughs> but the uh, old bank is on the corner. <clears throat> and Chief, I think you know Arch, don't you? Oh, yeah. No, well, mm, oh. only only, only F I've ever received in my entire <laughs> educational career from him. But it made me learn. It made me learn. That's awesome. Anyway, they've got some gr- great guns, great knives, uh, accessories, holsters, gun bags, uh, relo- <laughs> reloading equipment, so on and so forth. But today, what they have on their shelf is a Glock 41 Gen 4. And I'm going to be reading to you a, um, a review from Guns America. And I always do this because I want somebody else's perspective. I already know about the gun, but I want you to hear somebody else's perspective. 
And um, I'll read it. I'll make a few comments myself. But we're talking about the Glock 41, which is a 45 ACP. And the, the smaller brother to that one is the Glock 21, which I have. And it's an awesome pistol. But this one, honestly, for the extension on the barrel, which I'll explain in a second, oh my gosh, does it make a difference? You wouldn't think it makes a difference, but it does. So let me read this review, and we'll just get up to speed. And we'll talk about it briefly here. The Glock 41. Well, first of all, give uh, ANC Firearms a call. 254-983-4417. And ladies and gentlemen, Arch is a sponsor. And it's because he enjoys the show. He believes in what we're doing here. But ladies and gentlemen, I can't stay on the air without support. And he gives me support, and you need to support him. So when you hear about this gun or any gun and you like it, don't go shopping around. Go support ANC Firearms because he supports the show. We need to support each other so that we can all uh, do what we need to do. But anyway, here, the Glock 41 is a larger competition version of the G21, the 45 ACP Glock 21. Rather than rush to review this gun back in February, we decided to shoot it a lot, and it is very consistent. Gunslingers agree on very few things, but one of them is that bigger, longer guns are easier to shoot and shoot well. And this is doubly true when you have to do a lot of shooting. Glock owners are a fierce bunch of gunslinging devotees, and now they have a Gen 4 version of what is essentially a bigger, longer 45 ACP Glock 21. This is the last of the competition trio that joins the G34, a long slide 9mm um, Glock 17, and the G35, a long slide 40 caliber of the Glock 22. This new G41 has a barrel about 0.6 inches longer and has about a three-quarter inch more sight radius than the Glock 21, but it actually comes in a couple of ounces lighter. The Glock 41 holds the same 13 plus 1 45 ACP rounds as the Glock 21. Now, our test gun was one of the first in the country back at SHOT Show in 2014, and after over a 1,000 rounds in casual shooting from visitors to our shooting complex since that time, its performance has remained very good and consistent. The Glock 41 was built for competition, and that means it could be subjected to tens of thousands of rounds over the course of its lifetime. We found the Glock 41 to be as solid as a rock. We tested the gun a lot with federal ammo available at Walmart and Hornady, Steel Match, and another inexpensive ammo for competition. If you're asking yourself why would anyone want such a behemoth, and he says, I think this is the biggest Glock made, the answer is physics and the way this affects ergonomics. I didn't have a Glock 21 slide by si- a, a Glock 21 side by side to compare this gun to, but against my other plastic 45s and 1911s, this gun has significantly less muzzle flip, which I can concur. It is fairly easy to muscle the gun to not flip hardly at all. Having a little more metal at the front definitely changes the feel of the Glock 41, but somehow they made the gun actually lighter, without a cutout like you see in many other competition pistols. The extra distance between the sights, which is 6.77 inches in the Glock 21 and 7.56 inches in the Glock 41... I'm sorry, 6.77 inches in the Glock 21 and 7.56 inches in the Glock 41 increases your ability to finely aim at distance. The further apart the sights, the more degrees there are between any point on the rear sight and the front sight. When you look at a slice of of a circle called a radius, all other forces being equal, the average person should be able to shoot the G41 a little bit better than the G21. In competition, that little bit can mean winning and losing. No matter how you slice it, a double stack 45 ACP is a behemoth. This gun may not fit you, so stop by ANC Firearms and try one. The magazine of these guns hold 13 rounds. Got a call? Okay, give me a minute. I'll be done here in just a minute. There are advantages of the Glock 41 from a home defense standpoint, though. If you are keeping one handgun in the house for for defense against a possible intruder, the G41 is going to have some advantages over its shorter brother. Besides the muzzle flip and sight radius, there will be slightly more power behind the 45 ACP bullet. A longer barrel means more powder burning before the bullet exits, which translates to slightly more velocity. Is this significant? Not really. But if you are buying one gun, you want to get really good with that gun, there's no reason not to buy a Glock 41 over the 21 if you're thinking about one for home defense. A lot of people want a Glock and only a Glock. Hang out at any counter, gun counter for a day and you'll see this is probably the biggest, baddest Glock and it shoots really well. Testing accuracy, I was able to put all 14 rounds into a couple inches at 25 yards, which in my estimation is the end of the driveway. In competition, that is generally going to be the longest handgun target distance, and it is easy to keep the gun right where you need it. Ultimately, nobody can tell you how accurate a handgun will be for you because your hands and your ergonomics are yours alone. 
This gun has the potential to be very accurate if it fits you. That would be true of all Glocks in my experience. This gun will not fit everyone, and I count myself among the group, though I was able to shoot it acceptably, uh, acceptably well. The Glock 41 has all the same features as the rest of the Glocks. It is the standard safe action single constant trigger pull. The trigger pull is in the normal range for Glocks, about 6 pounds, with a crisp break at the end. The nice thing about Glocks is that they are all the same, and they all work great. Doing one thing well is a lesson many companies could take from Glock. That that is that is why they have an army of devotees who refuse to shoot anything but. There is no other gun like the Glock, and the G41 is a nice addition to the line for which many have been waiting. Stop into ANC Firearms and see if the gun fits you. If it does, this is a great choice for a lot of different applications, including the competition space for which it was created. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is me talking. That Glock, for, that Glock 41, or any long slide Glock, is incredible. It really is. I, I'm, I'm totally impressed. I'm a 1911 guy, and the reason I pick Glocks is because it has the same basic angle of approach on the grip. So from my hand and the way it works, because I talked about in, ins and any and outies when it comes to the palms, if you have like a recess in your palm, you kind of need like an arched mainspring housing to fit that hollow spot in your hand, otherwise the gun won't line up well. Well, for me, a 1911 with an arched mainspring housing is the same thing if you put it on top of a Glock pistol. It's got the same angle of approach for the grip. It's got the same little hump there at the bottom to fit the, the hole in my hand. And it's a natural point shooter. And the trigger for being the type of trigger it is, breaks really nice. So if you're looking for a Glock or if you already have a Glock, you need to check this one out. And they also make 30 round mags. I think it's 30 round mag. It might be a 26 round mag and a 45 ACP. But who the heck with a mag change? If you've got this thing at the nightstand by your bed and you got a 25 round mag in there 45 ACP with a flashlight connected to it, you've got an incredible weapon to defend your home. The last thing you want to do in a gunfight has to worry about changing mags. So think about it. Call ANC Firearms at 254-983-4417. Check it out on the shelf there, and uh, I think you will be totally impressed. Chief, you got a comment about that? I do. For 19 years, I carried the Glock 21, uh, one of the finest weapons I've ever carried in my life. The recoil on it was extremely small. It fit my hand perfectly, and you got to understand, I've got very large hands, uh, size 16 ring finger. But even a smaller person uh, can carry them. Uh, One of our local police departments, that's the issue of firearm of uh, the department. And this new Glock, that I, and I've seen the new Glock, it fits almost the same exact frame size. Man, it is a gun that's unbelievable. I'd go, if you got the money and you got the chance, go buy one of those because they are weapons that are unbelievable. Well, let me follow up on what you just said. Now, I have not shot the Glock 41, but I have shot the, I forget the nomenclature of it, but the 9mm long slide version. 9mm has got higher velocity, okay? And with that extra long slide, it really tames it down. And so I can only imagine with a slower 45 AC bullet shooting that gun because my Glock 21s don't pop at all. It's just so easy to shoot them. With that extra weight at the front end, the longer sight radius, and the, the slower, heavier bullet of a forty five ACP, I can only imagine. Oh, it is. and I mean, a small person to a large person can shoot that gun efficiently. Uh, your hands almost mold around the grips, and it is just a... Talking about control, you have a control. You can group easy, and it's a weapon that is just uh, one that's a great self-defense weapon mm-hmm. or a police carry weapon. And the thing I forgot to mention, it's a Gen 4. So even if you don't have that hollow in your palm and you've got more of a flat palm, the Gen 4 has adjustable back strap, right. so you can change it to whatever works for you. So go call ANC Firearms, 254-983-4417. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, don't look at it and say, that's cool, but I can get it $10 cheaper here. That doesn't work. You need to support our local people who support this radio show. Give AC, ANC Firearms a call, 254-983-4417. Tell them I sent you, and they will treat you like royalty, okay? All right. Caller's gone. Okay, we had a caller. Call, if you want to call back, I'm done. We can talk. But um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Trey Wallace will be doing a special interview, and I'll explain it on the other side. Saturday, May 13th, we've got about 23 minutes left in the show. We had a phone call come in. And, Trey, what was the question asked? Uh, he asked about, uh, can you carry a rifle with your license to carry? Okay, I can understand why that may be a question, but let's be clear. Carrying a rifle in no way, shape, or form has anything to do with license to carry. License to carry is its own little sphere of rules and regulation. It has to do with only handguns, revolvers, pistols. Revolver is a revolver, a pistol is an automatic pistol, and license to carry has only to do with that. You have the right to uh, walk down the street if you want in a non-threatening manner with your rifle strapped to your shoulder. Um, You can carry it. If that's what you choose to do, you're more than welcome to do so. Um, But please do it in a very respectful, courteous, uh, appropriate manner, not to cause alarm. 
to avoid questioning yourself and to just scaring people for no unnecessary reason. But you definitely do have the right to do that, and it does not have anything to do with license to carry. So I hope I answered the question to the, the caller. If you have any other questions, anybody, give us a call, 254-697-6633. Give me an email at aaronsgunshop at gmail.com or just go directly to the website, aaronsgunshop.com, and give us some support. Like us on Facebook. Let's get those numbers up, please, and um, we'll take it from there. Now, Trey. I'm going to hand over the microphone to you, and you are going to do the next segment for probably about the next 20 minutes. So why don't you go ahead and take the show? All righty. You know, during the course of this show, uh, on Aaron's High Cap Adventures has had many different guests. And we've covered a staggeringly wide array of skills, from you know portrait painting to custom weapon making to legislating. We even have lawyers. Uh, today, though, we have our strangest guest yet. That would be our host, Matt Betros. Woo-hoo! <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt. Uh, so we want to talk a little bit so that the, the audience can uh, get to know you a little better because you're talking to them every Saturday morning and well, they need to know who they're listening to. They may get scared. <laughs> We're going to start with uh, just the basics. I mean, you're real big into shooting. Uh, so what got you into it? Well, I'll tell you, Trey, a lot of people ask me that question. It's like, what, what, got, what got me into what I do? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. My dad, World War II vet. Okay, my whole family is military oriented. It goes all the way back to my uh, grandfather's. On, my grandfather on my dad's side was in the National Guard up in New York. My grandfather on my mother's side was a special aid intelligence officer to Lawrence of Arabia, and I've got all the documentation on that too. So it's it's a pretty wild history. So my dad was a World War II vet into guns, the whole works. And I remember growing up. I remember, you know, was, I don't know, two, three, four years old playing in the front living room. And there's my dad was an art artist as well. So he would display all his antiques and types of guns and display cabinets. So there I am in the midst of all these guns looking at them like it's no big deal. And then I started looking at it and say, hey, that's pretty cool. What is it? My dad would show it to me in the proper manner. And so I got hooked and I've been shooting since I was four years old. So when you start shooting that young and it becomes part of you, it's just like a whole bunch of people down here, man. When they, they start shooting when they're a little kid, it's just nothing. It's ingrained into you to shoot. So that's how I got my start was through my dad because of his interest in guns. So what did you start on it for? I still have it to this day. It was a Colt single-shot bolt-action rifle. I think it was called a Colt-tier. I think it was. I still got it. Man, I could at 100 yards, I could shoot. I would hang cans off these little leather strips, like shoelace strips. I wouldn't shoot the can. I would shoot the, the leather strips, okay? My eyes were great, and I was shooting with that. And My dad would give me a box of 100 rounds, Remington 22s in those plastic um, honeycomb boxes. He said, that's what you got. And I had one <laughs> shot at a time, one shot at a time, and I got very proficient. Back in the day, I was very good with rifles. But then something happened where I got into pistols, and I stopped playing with rifles except for my ARs and all that kind of stuff and tactical type of shooting. But when it comes to bullseye accuracy, I started with a 22 Colt. Tear, I believe it's called, but I've still got it to this day. Love it. Won't get rid of it. So what led you into handguns? That's a good question. Um, I think it has to do with the 1911. Well, I can see that. <laughs> World War II, 1911. Um, I'm an artist myself. I used to draw pictures of G.I. Joes with the pistol. Um, back in the day, they still have it now. They've got collector's armory. And they sell these fake guns that are one-to-one scale. And back when I was a kid, I don't think 10 years old, a long time ago, 40-something years ago, I ordered one. I had to save up some money. Back then, it was no big deal. You just get this gun. I'm playing with it, taking it apart, learning it. And that got me into the handgun aspect of it. it was more the World War II. If you ever go to my shop, Trey, which you have, you'll see all the action figures. I got the Germans on one side and the Americans on the other side because my dad was in the war. So that has a lot of interest to me. And the 45 1911 was a major part of that. So I got hooked on the pistol. But I have to think later on... Um, I really can't answer that question. It was a sudden happening, but I don't remember exactly what it was where I just started getting into it. But it definitely got enhanced back in 2000, or actually 96, when um, Bush signed the law to carry concealed. I was licensed up in New York as of age 21 to carry concealed. And it's very hard to get up there, by the way. And so I've been carrying a pistol there for self-defense, but I didn't really master my skill with a handgun until later down here. Uh, so, did you ever have you ever shot com- uh, competitively? I haven't shot competitively. What people think is competitive, I shoot competitive, more streetwise competitive. I do not like regimented type of competitions. I think it's a false reality. Now, if you like it just because it's something to do, it definitely does enhance your skills. Don't get me wrong, but I think it loses the factor of realism when it comes to defending yourself on the street. I'm not a marksman sit shooter. I am a self-defense shooter. 
big difference. And I tell that people, I tell people that in my class, I say, if you're here for me to teach you how to shoot a bullseye at 15 yards and put it in the same hole, you're in the wrong class. I'm here to teach you how to shoot a six-inch circle under stress in a matter of a second without aiming your pistol. So there's a big difference when it comes to that. So, But I have done competitions. I love competitions. It, it puts you under the test, but I like them under certain conditions. And that's why, once again, I've come up with the, the round-robin competition, which I think is awesome. So it's more shooting with sort of a, a preparedness uh, flavor to it. That's right. Which kind of cool. Because it'll bring us into our next, a uh, segue to our next question Ooh, here. Okay, what do you got? So what got you into prepping? Uh, heck, that's a long, that's a question that can come up with a long answer. Oh. A lot of things have got me into prepper. I mean, when I was when I was growing up as a kid, I briefly went into the Boy Scouts. My other brothers, I'm five years from my next oldest brother. I have three other brothers. The next oldest one is five years from me, and then it's a two-year separation between them both. Well, those three guys all went to the Boy Scouts, did great, Life Star, Eagle Scout, the whole works. When I went in, where I was living in the time frame I was, it was under poor management, the Boy Scouts, in that particular troop. And I went in for a little bit, got a few merit badges, but I just never did it. But that fueled my interest of being prepared, always having the special tool for that special situation in case it ever arose. I'm a gadget guy, okay? And so that got me. And then as time went on, I would always be prepared. You know, you always have, you make sure the spare tires fill with air, you got your jumper cables. It's just basic standard operating procedure for a person so you can become independent upon everybody not have to be dependent on waiting for somebody to come and help you. I hate that. I am that way in a lot of aspects because I'm not as skilled as so many other people when it comes to mechanics and all that kind of stuff. But I try to do the best I can to be non-reliant on other people. But the biggest thing came in 2006. Back in that time, we were in the wars, Afghanistan, um, Iraq, all that kind of stuff. And this is, this is a... It's going to take a while for me to explain this, but I was news fanatical because I want to know what's going on with our guys over there, guys and gals protecting us and doing their stuff and I, every second. And something was said over the radio, and I forget what it was, but it made me want to research the Kennedy assassination. And so once I got the bug, I'm starting to look up all this stuff, and you would see the standard things on the Internet. But then if you dug deeper and looked at different types of documentation as to what happened and what is not really promoted and what a lot of people don't know, I saw this information concerning the Kennedy assassination. I'm saying, hey, wait a minute here. I'm not stupid. I can see what's going on. I know what bullet impact does to an individual. I know which direction a bullet comes from. And you're trying to tell me it's a lone shooter? I don't buy it. That opened the gateway to me to question news. I think, I never said it, but I was checking out fake news all the time back then. I'm saying, this is ridiculous. And I started losing my trust in what the media would tell me and what politicians would tell me. I'm thinking it's all screwed up because I would hear politicians say it. I would see them say it. And then the news would report it differently. I go, wait a minute. I was there when it happened. So it caused me to start doubting. And because of that doubt and then learning more and studying more about economics and potential um, natural disasters or anything that could potentially happen, I'm saying to myself, you know, I'm vulnerable. I'm vulnerable because I counted on, I had the faith of my politicians and the faith of government and all this kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, I've seen too many things happen where politicians and government have failed to take care of the populace. You've got to do it on your own. And because of that, I went prepper fanatical. Prepper fanatical goes through phases. There's ignorance. And then all of a sudden somebody shows you and you start freaking out and you hyperdrive on preparedness until you get to a burnout point. Then you burn out, you recover, and then you come back and say, okay, I'm up to speed now. I know what's going on. Not a problem. I understand how it works. I know what's going on. I'm good to go. You just take it and say, hey, I'm prepared basically for mostly what happens. But that's the phases it goes through, and that's what I think got me started on being a prepper. And, I, and because I'm the type of person who likes to be on the radio and share my, my knowledge and my experiences, I use this radio show as a platform to help and tell people, hey, you know, I've been here, done this. I've talked to people who know and been here and done this, who I trust and I've seen and they have history with me, and I want to share it with others. So if you could sum up your uh, philosophy on prepping, how would you do that? Expect the unexpected. Don't be sitting or standing with your head in the sand. Don't be um, oblivious to the reality of life. Don't think, You've got to be accountable for yourself. If, you're, if you have a family, children, I'm talking to guys specifically here. Guys, get off your butts. Take care of your family. But I am going to teach you this. Don't get paranoid. Paranoid is lack of knowledge. I'm not paranoid. 
I'm very knowledgeable. And when you have this knowledge and you understand and you know and you see and you study and evaluate and confirm, you go, okay, I know what needs to be done. There's no need to panic. Just know what you need to do and get it done. Uh, we got a little bit of about 10 minutes here left in the show. So uh, you got any uh, stories, any real life stories you want to share with us? I know you're always asking uh, callers for theirs and your guests. You got any you want to share with us? Yeah, I've, I've got a, a few stories. There's, um, I always, in my class, I talk about this. I don't think I've ever talked about this on the air. If I have, I'll just repeat it. But I'm always talking about being aware of your surroundings. And I read these stories from the NRA and Concealed Carry Magazine about how uh, hey, you know, you should have been prepared, you should train, or you should have been aware of your surroundings. Well, I'll give you a story, a true story. Up in New York, I'm licensed to carry, and I would carry... Up in New York, the weather's a little different down here. I used to carry shoulder rigs all the time up in New York because the weather would permit it, unless it was the super hot summer and humidity, and then you'd, you'd alternate to a different platform of carrying a gun. But most of the time, I'm wearing a long leather trench coat, and I got my 1911 strapped to my shoulder, and I'm going down the street to my work, which happened to be one block down to the right one block, and there I am at work. I was very fortunate at that time just to have a quick walk. But as I'm going down the street up to the uh, intersection, on the opposite corner, there's an apartment building of about probably 10 stories, and there's six people on the stoop, the steps to the apartment building. And as I'm walking down, being aware of my surroundings, I'm always listening for noises, looking for shadows behind bushes. And it's not paranoia. It is because I know. <laughs> I know it can happen. Trey, I had, a, I had machine gun fire happening two buildings down from me in the alleyway. I wake up the next morning. I didn't wake up. Like, I heard it. Then I went to bed and I woke up the next morning to go down the street and there's bullet holes in this BMW. Stuff happened on my street. Crack houses, prostitution, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, I'm walking down the street. And being aware of my surroundings, I see the six guys. They see me. I'm approaching the corner, but they split off into three groups. Two stay on the stoop. Two go across the street. Two go across the other side of the street, and they're converging on me. And there's nobody else around, and I know what's going on. And as they approach, I opened up the right side of my leather trench coat to show them a very nice, pretty Colt Series 70 1911. And I go, not today, guys. And they look at me, and they go, that's cool, man. I go, that's right. And they backed off. So... The scenario, the, the experience that you get from that is you always be aware of your surroundings. Understand there's always a threat. Avoid it if at all possible. And what I did there was penal code 904. That's threat is justifiable force. I showed them, hey, you're going to mess with me. I have a way to combat it. And so they walked off. But a lot of people may not know that, may not have that confidence, may not know what to do, and could become a victim of people like that. So that was one story. I had another story, which is pretty cool. I had a group, I was in a group of four. I was the fourth person, very close friends back in New York. And one was, I was Army, one was Navy, one was Marines, another was law enforcement. Well, I'm walking up the street, the opposite direction on my street, with this guy, and he's in a naval uniform. He's wearing his blues, I guess, with the bell bottoms. And we're walking up the street, and as we're walking up the street, I noticed there's a vehicle tracking us. It's creeping along, and I go, this isn't right. Something's not right, man. I can tell. It's just not the way things happen on this street. So as we're walking up the street, all of a sudden, you know how when you slap your foot on the accelerator, you hear that engine, vroom, right? As soon as I heard that, I knew it was happening. This vehicle races up to parallel us. The driver whips out this chrome stainless steel or something shiny 38 revolver, leans it on the side of the driver door. I see it. I grab this guy and body slam him on the other side of the bushes just so we can get down low. The thing was, the individual driving knew the sailor, and he was messing around. He was just kidding around. And I wanted to go punch this guy in the face. But I bring that up because it didn't matter. Even though it was a friendly, I registered it as a threat. And I was aware of my surroundings. I acknowledged it was a threat. I was aware of my surroundings. And I did what I had to do at that particular moment to avoid the situation. So that's another scenario. So real things happen. Even if it's not real, if you perceive it to be real, it is real. So you have to know and how to respond to it. So it's kind of better to uh, err on the side of caution. Yes, I would think so. So uh, if you could give the listeners one piece of what you consider the most vital piece of advice that you can give, what would that be? Don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant to life and the situation and the reality of there is a threat out there. Am I paranoid? No. I am aware. I acknowledge there's a threat. I'm aware of my surroundings, and I avoid it if at all possible. And if not, I'm trained to deal with it. And I, I will deal with it very thoroughly. Well, uh, Chief, you got anything you want to chime in? Oh, no. I've, I've known Matt now for a number of years. And, you know, the one thing I can say, he's got a passion that is that is truly a passion. And that is something that you don't see in a lot of people. 
You know, I uh, because of him, I've changed a lot of things that I've even done and a lot of the ways that I think about things, and I, uh, I have to uh, compliment him on that. Uh, there's, uh, of course, nobody agrees on everything all the time, but uh, one of the things I can say is uh, Matt has not said a whole lot of things that I don't agree with. And I'm not saying that to blow smoke in the nose of you or anything, but, you know, I being in the business I've been in for 43 years, I've seen a lot of people hurt. I've seen a lot of people that have been victims because they didn't prepare and because they didn't look into the what they was around them. They didn't know their surroundings. That's right. And that's something I've passed on to my kids. I've passed on to, uh, you know, the my friends. And I think that uh, Matt is doing a service that, you know, more people ought to take a veil of. You know, you said something, Chief, about facts. I study what I talk about, and I I pick the facts that are not any way, shape, or form can be argued. And that's the only way to do it. I and mean, one of the facts is some things are opinionated. Law depends on who you got that day and who's the jury. The fact is there is no fact when it comes to that. So you must be aware of that and understand that your line in the sand that gets crossed, the more you know, the more experienced you are, the further away that line in the sand gets. And it gives you more time, gives you more options. The more ignorant you are, and ignorant's not a bad word, that's just meaning you just don't know. Okay? The more ignorant you are on a particular situation, the more mistakes you can make, the less options you have, the more trouble you can get into. So I highly recommend people, if you're going to carry a gun, make sure you know what you're doing. And I concur with that 100%. You know, I, uh, I think a lot about our communities here in the Central Texas area. And, you know, one of the things that I am very proud of is law enforcement around here. But I also know law enforcement is only human being, like Mr. Dodds eloquently said earlier today. Um, police officers aren't perfect. Uh, people aren't perfect. Uh, people are going to make mistakes. Police officers are going to make mistakes. And I really appreciate the fact that you, you don't shy away from saying that. Uh, so many times people are scared to say truly what they feel about law enforcement. And I'll be the first to tell you, there is no perfect law enforcement officer. And there is no perfect scenario. But uh, uh, let me say this. When we talk about these officers who make mistakes, we don't talk about they go, oh, look, that officer made a mistake. Oh, no, 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 we don't no. do that. We say, you see, he's an officer. He's human. He's human. He's supposed to be knowledge, but he's human. Exactly. He's going to make mistakes. And because those mistakes are very possible, you must take that into consideration in the mix. And you know what some of those, that those mistakes are caused by? Ignorance. And I'll be first to admit it. There are so many police officers, me included, with 43 years, that aren't where they need to be up to speed on the laws and up to speed on, on what's happening currently. You know, just because we were taught something to police academy, I went to the police academy 44 years ago. And I'm telling you, if you don't keep up with what happens in 44 years, if you don't keep up with something that happens in six years, uh, six months as far as the law is concerned, the changes in the law, you're going to get behind the eight ball. I'm pro-law all the way, yep. okay? But here's the deal. Law enforcement, If you look, when you look at this video, ladies and gentlemen, probably on Tuesday, you're going to see me showing the penal code that these guys got to learn is about this big. License to carry people got about this much, which I'm doing about an inch as compared to like three feet. Master it. It's only an inch thick. If you're going to carry, license to carry, master it. Law enforcement officer, he's human. She's human. There's no way you can remember. That's why, that's why they sit in the police car for 30 minutes because they're referencing a penal code to make sure they know what they're talking about. Okay? That's no, it's no hidden secret. Trey's giving me the high sign that we've got about less than a minute to go here. But ladies and gentlemen, look, I love doing what I do. If you love hearing what you hear, I need your support. Can't do it by myself. Can't do it with just a certain amount of sponsors. We need your support. Support the sponsors. Become a sponsor. Give me a call. We'll talk about it. We'll see what we can do. And I'll get you part of the program and keep this thing going. But I'll tell you what, Trey, what I got? 30 seconds? Uh, that's about right. All, All right. 20 seconds. Well, for 20 seconds, here's what I'm going to say. Love what I do. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I'm blessed to be around the people I am. And until next week, keep your powder dry. And God bless and happy Mother's Day.